0: This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Good morning. It is Wednesday, November 23rd, 2022. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown. I'm Alex Smythe. In for day brown, let's hit those horns and go coming up on the show today. Matt Greenwood tells you about Soccer Abilities' newly launched women's blind national soccer team. Arno Kopecki continues our conversation on COP27 at the UN Conference on Climate Change. And Amy Amante gives us the lowdown on the Pacific National Exhibition's upcoming. Continue following the Emergencies Act inquiry. deal would result in the blockade clearing. The blockade in the occupation um,
1: raised legitimate concerns about whether or not, even if um, a negotiated settlement uh, had been reached, whether or not it would have been successful in disengaging and clearing the blockade in the occupation.
0: He also said that the plan to remove vehicles from other neighborhoods was causing greater strain downtown.
1: The vehicles that were um, clearing out of neighborhoods were actually uh, coming back downtown into the parliamentary precinct and that that created a surge of, um, uh, of vehicles that were, uh, again, entrenching um, at the seat of the federal government. And my, my concern was that it was actually growing uh, the scale of the
2: occupation
0: Yesterday also had text exchanges between former Alberta Premier Jason Kenney and Intergovernmental Intergovernmental Affairs Minister Dominic LeBlanc read aloud
3: This trucker vax policy is obviously just dumb political theater calling them all Nazis hasn't exactly helped and now the provinces are holding the bag on enforcement. I can't get any heavy equipment from private vendors to move these freaking trucks off the border because the crazies are making death threats. And you guys turned down our request for army equipment to help us.
0: Minister LeBlanc then told the commission that he and N. had a good relationship, but he was just venting frustrations. A man who was found guilty of an armed breach at Rideau Hall has been granted day, per- day patrol, day parole. Uh, Brittany Hobson has more. The Parole Board
4: of Canada denied full parole for Corey Horan, but approved him to spend six months living in a halfway house on day parole. Horen who once served with the military's Canadian Rangers, drove a truck onto the grounds of the Governor General's official residence in 2020 and crashed through the gate, causing $100,000 in damages. He pleaded guilty last spring to seven weapons offenses and a charge of mischief and was sentenced to six years. The parole board says as part of Horen's release, he has to attend counseling, take prescribed medication, and maintain employment. Brittany Hobson, the
0: Canadian Press. And deadly strikes overnight continued in Ukraine. Charles de Ledesma has this report
2: ukrainian authorities say an overnight rocket attack has struck a hospital maternity ward in southern ukraine killing a newborn baby the mother and doctor were pulled alive from the rubble the region's governor says the rockets were russian the strike in the city of Vilniansk adds to the gruesome toll suffered by hospitals and other medical facilities and their patients and staff in the Russian invasion entering its 10th month this week. They have been in the firing line from the outset, including a March 9 airstrike that destroyed a maternity hospital in the now-occupied port city of Mariupol. I'm Charles de Ledesma.
0: Now back at home, the Canadian Labour Congress and United Steel Workers Union have filed a complaint against Canadian Tire for its unfair treatment of Bangladeshi workers making Marks brand clothing. Canadian President of the United Steelworkers, Marty Warren, explained the issue.
1: The USW and the CLC have brought evidence to the core that shows Marks and Canadian Tire Corporation have failed to ensure the workers in its supplier factories are paid living wages.
0: Kalpona Atkar, the executive director of the Bangladesh Centre for Worker Solidarity, added more. The women
4: and men who make clothes and sold in Mark Canadian stores work six days per week, 10 or 12 hours per day, but earn wages so low that they cannot escape poverty, no matter how hard they work.
0: Canadian Tire says that it works to ensure that its suppliers comply with all local laws, including compensation. And finally, Alberta Premier Danielle Smith announced that she will introduce the Alberta Sovereignty in a, in a United Canada Act.
4: Now some are attempting to scare folks into thinking that this legislation has something to do with leaving Canada. Nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, this new law will have the opposite effect. By restoring and respecting the constitutional rights of our creative and diverse provinces, including Alberta, Canada will become stronger, more prosperous, and more unified than ever.
0: Critics question how this would work legally, and Smith has not provided any details about the Act. Now, moving on to our daily polls. Yesterday, we asked you, how do you ensure you wake up in the morning? Uh, 37% of you? set multiple alarms, 0% of you had someone else wake you up, 26% of you had rely on my internal clock, bravo to the 26% of you who, who can reliably do that, and 37% of you said other. We do have some responses uh, from Twitter. Karen tweets, I have two alarms set, but I also have a 15-and-a-half-year-old dog that makes sure I wake up. She's the best alarm clock ever and wakes me up way before either alarm goes off. That's continuing what Eliza said about making sure you have pets. They'll always keep you awake. Uh, James tweets, a bellman alarm clock with a, a bed shaker. I put the bed shaker under my pillow. That's, that's a great tip. You know, that's one thing I've always thought about including Jedi Lynn tweets, go to sleep at 20, uh, 20 o'clock works every time. So go to bed early. You'll wake up early. Now, For today's Daily Poll, we've been talking with Lawrence Gunther uh, yesterday about COP27. We're going to be continuing that conversation with Arno Capecchi later in the show. But I wanted to ask you, are international conferences helpful for setting environmental policies at home? Yes or no? To me personally, I struggle sometimes because you see there's a lot of talk, there's a lot of gesturing, but even when we do set these policies, these these plans and and goals in mind oftentimes there's no accountability when we fail to meet them which is often the case and that's something we're gonna certainly talk with arno about later but first i want to bring in mike ross and get his take on this mike do you think that conferences like cop 27 really do help set agendas and policies when it comes to environmental action here at home i think they can help um
1: sort of set the the language that that we want to live by but as far as concrete change I don't I really don't think so. I mean honestly when you think about for example the Paris accord how many people out there can actually tell you really what's in that accord and and what the actual goals are uh, for Canada let alone the rest of the countries that signed on to it. I just think that it's it's good public posturing. Um, I think a lot of these conferences are good political theater but good political show but as far as as true outcomes eh, not so much i think there there are certain things that have come out of it uh, as far as helping with um you know Aid around the world, certainly helping with um, disease control and and getting medicine and food to parts of the world that uh, that are having uh, that are struggles. But I think that as far as especially something environmental like this, I mean, have have we really seen any true action? Have we really seen any true change? And the big thing for years and years was about recycling. And now a lot of experts are telling us, well, that really isn't putting a dent in anything. So I don't know. I I look at I, I hate to use the word political theater because it's it's got such a negative connotation right now with regards to public health policies. But I really do think that a lot of it is sort of window dressing. And at the end of the day, these accords, these agreements, these conferences really don't lead to to much as far as what we as individuals do and what we understand really about these agreements and about the problems that these agreements are supposed to be resolving.
0: Yeah, that's a very good point that not only is it just you there's not the clarity around the impact but it's also the the knowledge transfer for people living their daily lives of what is actually being done what are the policies what is the change that is being enacted that's a great point mike we'll come back to you in a second for the weather but first i want to check in with eliza Rocko and get her take on this eliza do you think that these types of international conferences help with environmental policy
5: i'm very much with mike on this like They have the potential to maybe help, but I don't think they're doing that much on on just a personal, like, person-to-person basis. Like, I don't know how many people are actually paying attention to what's going on at these conferences. Um, I don't know if it's that many, but after the government, after the Canadian government comes home, are they actually following through on these things? Like you said, like we keep missing our deadlines. We keep missing the goals we set for ourselves. So what is this actually doing? I think if you're an environmentally conscious person, which I think a lot of people are becoming these days, You'll do what you need to do. You understand, you recycle, which, like Mike said, maybe not doing that much. You wash your clothes with cold water, but there's a bunch of little things that we can do, but the government is not really putting these restrictions on where it matters, the big companies. And I don't know, I think we're just stuck right now, but I do think there's potential in these conferences doing something, but at the moment, they're just not.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, the optics certainly would be worse if, we didn't have any conference at all. And then it's like, there's nothing you could rely on to be like, look, we're actually doing something. We're meeting with all these different (laughs) nations. We're talking about these issues, but what's really coming out of these conferences, even though they do come out with, with deals and agreements and things like that, how does it actually transfer back home? I I don't know. And Mm -hmm. especially too, when you get some of the biggest nations in the world, like China, like us, who oftentimes are not going to be on the same page or who, who may agree to some conditions but not agreeing to to others. And so you then have to look at, like, well, if you're the largest polluter in the world, well, maybe you should be doing more. But politically, if you're not in agreement with what the uh, uh, majority of the nations at the conference are agreeing with, well, you're just not going yeah. to do it. And then... What what happens then? I,
5: I'm certainly glad these are conversations that are happening. Like, I wouldn't want there to be no conferences about the environment. I think that would be horrible. But I, I don't know how much is actually being taken home from those conferences. Absolutely.
0: Eliza, thank you so much for chiming in. And for you at home, if you want to have your voice heard and, and share, be sure to vote on our polls. You can do it at on Facebook at Accessible Media Inc., or on Twitter, at Accessible Media. Now, we head back to Mike Ross, who has our weather update.
1: Thank you, Alex. We're going to begin in St. John's, Newfoundland, with your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We've got periods of rain mixed in with some snow. The high will be plus 2, the wind chill minus 10. Halifax has a mix of sun and cloud, and a temperature steady near plus 3. Montreal, Quebec is cloudy today with a high of plus two. The wind chill will be minus five. Ottawa, cloudy today with a high of plus two. The wind chill, minus seven. In Toronto, mainly sunny skies and a high of seven degrees, though the wind chill this morning is minus five. Up to Thunder Bay, where it will be mainly sunny with a high of four, the wind chill today is minus 15. Let's go to Winnipeg next, where it will be mainly sunny with a high of plus one, and the wind chill this morning is minus 14. Saskatoon is cloudy today with a high of plus one, the wind chill this morning, minus eight. Into Alberta, we begin in Calgary, periods of light snow ending this morning, then clearing skies and a temperature near plus one. In Edmonton, clearing skies and a high of plus four in yellow light snow then a mix of sun and cloud the temperature falling to minus 10 this afternoon with a wind chill of minus 14. and a nice day oh i'm gonna say a nice day just because it's warmer temperatures in bc vancouver is mainly cloudy but a high of eight degrees and victoria mainly cloudy with a high of nine degrees
0: and that is the ami national weather report from environment canada Thank you very much, Mike. We'll check in with you a bit later in the show. But coming up next, Matt Greenwood tells you about SockAbility's newly launched Women's Blind National Soccer Team. You're watching now with Dave Brown on ami <laughs> Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown, coming to you on AMI-tv. Soccerability has just launched Canada's very first women's national blind soccer team. To learn more about this, we are joined by the team's head coach, Matt Greenwood. Matt, how's it going?
6: It's going good. Thanks, Alex. Uh, Great to to be on the the call this morning, especially at the the start of such an exciting World Cup as well. It's really a great time to be around soccer in Canada.
0: Absolutely. You know, we're, we're... we're in the uh, the peak era of soccer here in in this nation, so first off, I just want to say congratulations you know this is awesome news it's my understanding that this is the first national blind program in Canada period men's or women's so can you just tell me uh, like a bit about how you feel that this is exciting that it's finally for the in when it comes to sports you know it's refreshing that it's a focus on the female side and the women's game opposed to being tacked on after a men's program has been established
6: absolutely but I think one of the uh, one of the, the unique things about Canada and when we think about soccer is the uh, the strength of our women's team almost has kind of come come ahead of the men's game uh, and I think that sort of happens very rarely in other countries around the globe uh, and, and it just seemed to be the natural fit and the natural evolution of of what we've seen here with our uh Canadian women when it comes to blind soccer. Uh, this started as sort of sort of outreach programs in schools and community clubs, probably back in 2012 or 2013. I remember partnering with Ontario Blind Sport Association uh, to deliver some sort of come and try events. Uh, and then unfortunately, at the 2015 Parapanam Games, blind soccer was the only sport that Canada didn't have representation at, um, We could have probably put a team together at that event, but we had the world number one and the world number two, Brazil and Argentina here, um, who actually made it to the the final. And I think there was a little bit of apprehension that um, we would put a team out that was nowhere near ready and would sort of get chewed up and and spat out. Uh, So since 2015, there's been a lot more development going on. That's evolved to... um, Blind soccer being part of the Ontario ParaSport Games every two years, so we did it for the first time in 2017 uh, when it was held down in in Brantford County in Brant County. Uh, in 2019, the provincial ParaSport Games were held in in Durham Region, and we were able to host it in in Pickering. Uh, and just this year, uh, it was in Mississauga. So each year, each two years that we've done those games, we've um, been able to ideally add an additional team uh, or at least uh, make more concrete the teams that we have. So the last um, evolution this year in Mississauga, we had a team from Pickering and a team from North Mississauga that competed. And we're hoping that when we get to the games in 2023, that we'll be back in Durham region, uh, we'll have another team there. We're talking to uh, some possible players up in Ottawa uh, and also down in London. So we can sort of expand those club programs. Uh, but what we did, that I think, was the real turning point for this, this female program uh, was in May, we, uh, we sort of partnered, Soccerability Canada partnered with Ontario Blind Sport Association and ran a three-day camp at the beautiful um, CNIB property on the, on the banks of Lake Joseph. Uh, we brought in uh, 15 coaches from across Ontario, four match officials and 10 players who were all blind, visually impaired. Uh, and it was really an opportunity to fast-forward the game get a lot of people on the same page about what it looks like and how it feels and, and being part of that that family uh and at the conclusion of that weekend our guest uh clinician who is the the national team coach from from france a guy called charlie simo uh pulled me to one side and said man he said you have the startings of a women's team here he said give them six months of training he said they could they could compete easily uh so that was a real boost because we weren't sure where we were on the female side of the game. And, and that's really sort of helped uh, strengthen the resolve of the, the women in the program that, Hey, now we've got something that we're really aiming for. Um, and that sort of got us to a point now where we're training more frequently um, and some really exciting opportunities for what we can do in, in 2023.
0: Well, and can you talk a bit about the, the importance of having those strong grassroots foundations, especially for a a sport that is, just starting, just developing. The program is just launched. So you you kind of touched on how the, these different events and, and different small teams really help fuel the growth. But can you kind of elaborate the importance of having a strong grassroots foundation to
6: build a national program? Absolutely. absolutely. And for me, there are two really important parts here. One is uh, around the location. Having something local that athletes can get. I, uh, I believe we
0: Hey, Matt, uh, sorry to cut you off there. I think we're having a bit of uh, technical difficulties trying to uh, hear you. You're cutting in and out a, a little bit.
6: Oh, sorry. Am I, I clear now? You're, you're clear now. Sorry about that. Okay. I'll sit tight. I won't move around. <laughs> yeah. Um so yeah, so sort of having localized opportunities is is really, really important. The other thing is is youth, and we're looking for the younger players, the ones that are going to come through and really evolve. We have uh, a fantastic young player from from Newmarket who's driving in each weekend with one of his parents to come and play. And, and he's really developed in the last two years playing and mixing in with the the adults that are in the program. Uh, so we want to find more of those younger players that will be that, that next generation coming through. Uh, so definitely grassroots club programs are, are really important and we have the the expertise and the background and some of the resources to be able to come and help a club start a program. Uh, and I think one of the important things from a club perspective is that there needs to be a bit of a reality check that you're probably not going to advertise a blind soccer program and, and have 10 or 15 players come right out of the woodwork you may only start with with one or two. And certainly that was my experience when I I started a program at Pickering. It was sort of two players, then it jumped to four, then maybe it was five or six, and then it went down. So you have to sort of be patient and and play the long game. Um, But one of the things that we uh, guide clubs and coaches is uh, put eye shades on all of the players. So you could have some sighted players that put eye shades on and participate in a practice or a drill. Uh, and now you've got something that's a little bit nearer to, to the real game, rather than um, you know a group of sighted players with one player wearing eye shades. So have everybody sort of level the playing field, and now that uh, blind, visually impaired athlete is going to get more out of that that session.
0: Absolutely, and and part of also that that uh, growth and bringing players into the game is is the leadership that. The team captains and and uh, leadership players take on. So, can you tell me a bit about the the team's first captain, Hillary Scanlon?
6: Yeah, Hillary is uh, is a, a fantastic story, and and we have a lot of great stories with with all of our athletes. They're fantastic backgrounds, and I wish I had time to to tell all of them. Uh, but Hillary and I. We connected probably about seven or eight years ago. I was previously working at, uh, at Ontario Soccer uh, and, and desperately trying to promote inclusive and accessible soccer programs while I was in that role. Um, and so she'd sort of been connected to me via, via email because um, at that stage, I think she was a 15 or 16-year-old female player. She'd played very competitive level of soccer in her hometown um, but knew that uh, her eyesight was deteriorating and was already thinking about what the plans were for her to be still playing when she uh, lost her sight. Um, and so at that time, my kind of my guidance was somewhat limited because we didn't have club-based programs or, or a team that she could sort of aspire to be in. Um, so fast forward to the start of the, uh, or just a few months before the pandemic, uh, she came along to one of the programs that we had running at uh, Pickering Football Club. Uh, and did really well. She'd still got all of that that competitive playing ability that she'd had previously and was now sort of fine tuning that without the, uh, the sense of sight uh, and had done, done really well. Um, and she uh, at that stage was looking to go away and do a, a master's degree. Uh, And I believe she got an offer to either go to uh, Harvard University uh, or St. Andrew's University in Scotland. So very intelligent, very smart young lady and, uh, you know, somebody that's kind of a role model to me. Um, And unfortunately, the pandemic uh, sort of messed that plan up for her. But fast forward through the pandemic and she's now actually studying a master's degree at Oxford University in England. Uh, And every chance that she comes back here over to, to Ontario we get her on the field and she's training and, and mixing in with the rest of the the players uh, and she actually took the opportunity this summer to do a a blind soccer course that was run by the international federation uh, and held in italy so she was there with another i think it was probably 20 or 30 other female players from from across europe um that were learning from the national federation about blind soccer and some of the fine details uh, so hillary was able to bring that back to our sessions uh, later in the summer when she uh, got back here from from the UK. So right That's now she's great. back over in the UK studying, uh, and we can't wait to, to get her back on the field again with the, the players as soon as she's able.
0: I, I I'm sure, and uh, we're we're running out of time, Matt. But where can people go to find out more information and maybe sign up if they're interested in getting involved?
6: Uh, yeah, definitely. We have uh, so SoccerAbility Canada is sort of a uh, not for profit organisation to sort of fill that gap that sort of isn't being served right now by other soccer associations or organisations. So we have a website, which is www.socability.ca, which has a, a page on there specific to Blind Soccer. We have uh, the landing page on there for the, the female team and also a male team that we're, we're working on and that should come sort of shortly after. Uh, we're also on social media, on Instagram at Soccability Canada and on Twitter at uh, soccerability Canada and then a capital C, Uh, and we try and promote and share as much information as possible about what's happening uh, with blind soccer, with our programs, but then also from a wider um, inclusion accessibility perspective, other forms of soccer that are happening across the globe and and even right here in, in Canada to get more people on the field and participating.
0: Amazing. Matt, I could talk about this all day. Unfortunately, we are out of time, so I'll have to let you go, but thank you so much for stopping by. Oh, not at all. Thanks very much for having me, Alex. That was great. Thank you. That's Matt Greenwood, the team coach for Canada's very first women's national blind soccer team. Coming up next, shiny Sarah Van Muthu shares tips on how to be a mindful shopper this Black Friday. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown, coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Alex Smythe, in for Dave Brown, who is living his best life. Black Friday is just around the corner, but while many of the sales may be intriguing, Shiny Saravan and Muthud has tips on how to be a mindful shopper without getting sucked in. Shiny joins us from Montreal. Good morning, Shiny. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Oh, not too bad. So, there are already so many deals... Floating around this week promoting Black Friday, you know, you have all these Black Friday early sales. Why is it important to be mindful on our online and in store purchases this week?
4: So, my biggest, I guess, tip is don't buy anything you don't need. So, like when you go into a store and you might see, like, buy one, get one free it might be enticing to be like, oh, I'm getting something for free. But in hindsight, what's really happening is a week ago, it was probably $10. And so now they're going to make one of them $20 and tell you the second one is free. So technically it was it's never really been on sale. It's just $10.
0: So, I, you, Go ahead, continue.
4: So I think you just be very mindful of what you're buying and knowing what the actual price of something is. I find for Black Friday, you're biggest takeaway and biggest saving pointing items are big ticketed items like electronics, boots, anything that you know what the regular retail value is and are able to compare that the price has actually gone down.
0: I will say I am very easily sucked into those like buy one, get one. So it's like, oh, well, I'm saving one. It's like, oh, well, I I was only actually going to you know, spend like $50. Now I only have to spend 75 to get this extra yeah. thing that I didn't have any intention yeah. of actually wanting or buying. So exactly. yeah, so based on that, like, how do we make sure that we are actually staying focused and we're actually getting a good deal and not getting sucked into those types of, uh, you know, uh, big stickers and, and kind of enticing numbers?
4: So I guess, You'll have to do homework, and I know everyone's all like, oh, great, like shopping is going to become homework. But to really do and do your research and ahead of time, we all know Black Friday is always going to be at the end of November. So in the early November, start bookmark. If you see something and you really want to get it, it's a bit on the your end. Uh, what I do is I bookmark the, the, the website uh, link to what the product, and I keep it, and I take note of what the price was in November beginning. And then I go back and check on Black Friday to see if it actually went on sale. So at least in a month, you would see if there is any fluctuation in the price and if you're actually getting a good deal or not. So that's what I'm saying for Black Friday. Like if you were to go buy an Apple product, you know that X laptop goes for this much regularly. And if they have a sale, you know that you're actually getting a deal where you get sucked into buying things that you don't need are the smaller knickknacks and those things that they're most likely trying to put on sale to get rid of inventory. And you get sucked into buying when there's not really a sale
0: that that's a very very good point now in for me like i'm i'm always kind of on the same page as you like i like to do my research i'm typically gonna see a price or if there's a product i'm looking for i'm gonna then find it in one place let's say you know like best buy or something like that amazon but then i'm gonna like google search and i'm gonna try to find the exact same product see where all the different like yeah. stores and stuff where, what their prices are it's going right. to be. Cause even though something may be on sale, it may not yeah. be at the lowest price. So that's very important to do that research, take that time because you could be saving like, you know, depending on what you're buying, it could be tens, exactly. it could be 20, it could be a hundred dollars more, uh, less that you're, you're spending on a product. So is there anything that's kind of caught your attention this uh, Black Friday season? Are you looking around for anything in particular?
4: Um, mostly winter boots, um, I really want a pair of uh, of boots, and I know they're normally retail for like three hundred dollars, and I know usually there's certain retailers that will put them for twenty five percent off just for Black Friday. So I know what the retail regular price is, so now it's just a matter of fact of waiting to make sure that I find one that's actually twenty five percent off to make sure I'm saving some money and then to go from there
0: yeah, for for myself, you know, typically. In the past, I would always be very big on Black Friday and trying to snatch up all these different things. Recently, it's it's been fewer and fewer things that actually like catch my attention, that I'm interested in, that I I need. Because that, after a certain point, especially, I find Black Friday's like TV seems to be like the big ticket item. Yeah. That's like that's where you see the big discounts. But you know, mm-hmm. I, I I got a nice TV. I, I got one a couple years ago. I don't need a a new one every every two years, but. I will say um, I'm looking to upgrade my, my phone and making a jump to iPhone. And even though iPhones typically...
4: Yeah, they have like a uh, promo. You get a gift card if you mm-hmm. spend a certain amount of money and you can use that gift card for something else or gift it. So
0: Yeah, exactly. And and even though, like for, for me personally, looking at an iPhone to, to get, it's not just, okay, you got to find the product. You got to find the carry. You also have to see where the best deal is and... That's the thing now, because they don't really give the discounts on the product. You have to look for those gift cards. Because for me, I was looking Costco has a really good deal for gift cards, but Best Buy is also kind of doing a good job, and Amazon has some. So those little peripheries, it seems like you have to add on to the the equation.
4: I know people are probably like, oh, great, homework for shopping. But (laughs) if you really want to get your savings done, and especially with the holidays coming around, you want to save as much money as possible, especially for those gifts, you know. Um, I'm stickler for asking my family what they want like in October so I can start searching and do all my shopping and be done this weekend. That's just me. Um, so, you know, so that's always a tip too. So uh, I think the key is don't, don't buy anything you don't need. Uh, go in shopping for specific items that you want and see if they're on sale.
0: So you're, you're trying to get all your shopping done now. So is, is, should other people be doing that? Like is Black Friday the time to get the best deals on products?
4: Especially if they're like high ticketed items or if you know they're like clothing or shoes size-wise, you want to make sure you have them in stock and you can get a sale so it works out. So I usually typically get everything done this weekend. If anything is online shopping, I'll check on Monday for their cyber sale. Um, I typically like to be done everything by the time December is open and I just focus on my baking after. So I'm just OCD like that and get everything done. I just find when you want to do Christmas shopping, it's better to get it done with ahead of time, just so you get the inventory out of the way. Because sometimes you, if you wait, it might not even be in stock anymore.
0: That's a very good point. I wish I was able to get all my shopping done by Black Friday. Unfortunately, I have two waves of gift giving that I have to uh, deal with. Um, my entire like immediate family, all their birthdays are in November. So I have to do all that November shopping and then I have to turn around and it's Christmas shopping right after that. So normally I can get like some of the gifts beforehand and I can take advantage of, of some like Black Friday deals and things like that. But yeah. oftentimes, you know, it's like, OK, I got to turn around. I, I I don't have the time or the energy or sometimes the money to be just buying everything at once. I kind of have to space it out a little well, bit.
4: Well, yeah, I get it. hundred percent. But, you know, uh, well, if you if you know what you want to buy and it's on sale mm-hmm. or jump on it
0: <laughs> yeah, just jump on it you just don't don't wait you never know if it's going to be there and i i think i know the answer to this one shining but uh, black friday or boxing day what's what's your go-to
4: <laughs> um i think boxing day has scarred because i used to work in retail but black <laughs> friday also because boxing day you're not really going to get the good stuff it's whatever's left over that people didn't buy for gifts and most of the time we're done giving our gifts and everything before boxing day so you're kind of it's good if you end up getting gift cards for your like for christmas and you have money this like you have that money and you want to go see if there's anything it's good for that sense but i mainly focus on black friday
0: that's very fair shiny thank you so much for kind (laughs) of giving us some of the tips and giving us the lowdown on your shopping uh experience and, and go through so it was uh it was great chatting with you Perfect. I hope you get your phone. <laughs> I, I will, too. I'll let you know. That was, <laughs> that was Shiny Sarah Van Damuthu chatting with me in Montreal. So our friends at a Tripping On Air podcast are getting into the holiday spirit as well with a special giveaway. You can visit AMI.ca slash contest to review the list of prizes that they're giving away as part of the 2022 MS Holiday Gift Guide. Be sure to enter for your chance to win. The contest closes December 1st at 11:59 p.m. Eastern, so you better hurry up. Winners will be contacted via email and listed on the Tripping on Air Instagram page. Coming up next, Amy Amanti gives you the lowdown on the Pacific National Exhibitions upcoming Winter Fair. But first, here is reporter Michelle Franson with Tech Trends.
5: In gadgets, Sherilyn Lowe says if you're thinking of picking up an Apple computer for the holidays, the $1,200 MacBook Air was redesigned this year and gained a new M2 processor. But the previous generation Air is worth a look too. It starts at $1,000, so you're saving about. You know, two hundred dollars there. That and that's just without the deals. If you're looking for a Windows laptop, the industry gold standard is, as always, a Dell XPS, either the 13 or the 15 inch models. The XPS was also redesigned this year with an invisible trackpad
4: and the function key row is uh, touch sensitive as opposed to like actual physical keys this time around. So it might not look or feel like something that you're used to.
5: And if you're a shopper on a budget, HP's Pavilion Arrow. Is, has a surprisingly good mix of features and specs for the price. With Tech Trends, I'm Michelle Franz and ABC News.
0: Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown coming to you on AMI TV. We are checking in with one of our community reporters and this time it is amy amanti who is joining us from vancouver british columbia hey amy how's it going
7: hey good morning alex it goes
0: it goes that's the thing you know it's wednesday it's a hump day we get through today it's all smooth sailing from here right
7: i agree yes
0: (laughs) so you have a few different topics that you wanted to bring forward and chat with us about the first one is VocalEye is hosting an accessible performance of The Sound of Music. So what can you tell me about this show?
7: Yeah, The Sound of Music. The hills are alive, right, with The Sound of Music. Um, Everybody, I think, knows The Sound of Music. It's been around for decades, uh, and it's going to be happening live on stage at the Arts Club Stanley Theatre, uh, here in Vancouver. And so VocalEye has a partnership with the Arts Club and we describe, uh, we, I say we, because I also work with VocalEye. Uh, so uh, they, they describe the show so that our audience members who are blind and partially sighted can enjoy uh, knowing what the costumes are and what the action is between the dialogues, all that fun stuff. So uh, this is happening in early December. In fact, if you're living in the local Metro Vancouver area, I will just say, there's a lot of great shows happening over the holiday season in person with descriptions, so that's one thing. Uh, but The Sound of Music is going to happen on December the fourth at two p.m. and December the ninth at eight p.m.
0: In terms of theater and, and and plays and musicals, where does The Sound of Music rank for you? I I feel it's probably going to be pretty high. I I can envision this being one of your favorites. Am I right?
7: It's a musical. I think for me, um, it's it is um, it's nostalgic. That's the thing, right? Uh, I first watched the movie probably as most people did, and uh, you know, every once in a while, I walk around my house singing a few of my favorite things, right? So, um, yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to being able to be with community and to uh, spend some time uh, listening to the sound of music. I actually. Myself personally get to see it twice this year because one of the um, one of the nights is going to be a relaxed performance. Uh, no audio description, but meant for folks who are neurodiverse, maybe have cognitive disabilities, um, parents with small children. So you can like run around the theater and you can knit while you're doing it and the lights are up and it's like a totally relaxed, chill environment. So that we are making theater accessible for all folks um, to be able to enjoy it.
0: Yeah, you know, I've had a chance to go to a couple of relaxed performances for different theater and, and and film and it it's such a nice experience to be able to do that mm-hmm. because it's you you realize it's just how these little changes can really help those who who need it or or who feel more comfortable in those types of spaces,
7: yeah, and who haven't typically been able to um i don't know I guess I've been a kind of excluded from mainstream theater, and what's great about the relaxed performance of the sound of music is that it's a big mainstream show, and often we see relaxed performances as like new Canadian premieres which are great but like people don't really know the titles of these shows and it's harder to get an audience to a show that's unknown than it is for a big musical so we'll we'll see I'm excited about it
0: now rumor has is that there is a chance for people to win tickets to uh to this performance can you tell me a bit more what the details around that
7: yeah, so um, uh, I, I also work at the Arts Club, who is the production company for, or the theatre company for this show. And uh, with my privilege of being an employee of theirs, I get a certain number of complimentary tickets to each show. And so I use those tickets uh, for a ticket lottery so that folks who are blind and partially sighted who may have barriers to ticket purchasing um, can email me. And you can do that amy, A-M-Y, at Vocal I. V O C A L E Y E dot C A. The ticket draw is going to be tomorrow so that people get their tickets on a timely manner for either the December 4th or December 9th show. So just email me. Let me know if you're interested in tickets and that you're an audio description user and you can potentially win two tickets to the show.
0: Awesome. That sounds great for anyone who's in Vancouver. It's certainly. Worth putting the name. And then, of course, we're going to have all this information on our blog, AMI slash now. So folks at home, they can go check it out. They can find out where your email address is, where all the other details are. Uh, Our next topic, you wanted to highlight the Pacific National Exhibition, which is hosting the annual Winter Fair. So what is on deck for this year?
7: Yeah. Uh, A winter fair? Who doesn't love a winter fair, right? And I think this is interesting that they're calling this a winter fair. This is not a Christmas fair. It's a winter fair. So, you know, the difference being it's non-secular. So folks who aren't celebrating Christmas um, because they don't have a Christian background or just aren't interested, um, this is a a space for everybody. So the Pacific National Exhibition is doing this winter fair between December the 14th and the 23rd. So it's a 10-day event. Uh, and it's open from 4.30 p.m. to 10.30 p.m. And you're, you can expect um, nightly concerts, skating, food, um, shopping, and uh, like tours through the winter lights in the dark, the dark twinkly lights. So, And if folks are curious, um, some of the, the performers at the concerts are going to include David Foster and Catherine McPhee, um, Tom Cochran, Dallas Smith, Jan Arden, Holly Cole. I mean, there's a whole bunch of folks. Um, Dion Warwick, right? So there's a lot of really great names that are going to come in and, and do some concert stuff.
0: Yeah, some phenomenal talent, both international and Canadian. So uh, folks in the area certainly need to check it out. Now, for you personally, what's your favourite part about the Winter Fair? Is it a concert? Is it the twinkly, twinkly Lights? Is it some of the other activities?
7: Yeah, I mean, I think for me... Because with my partial sight, I get real, I guess I could say I get real maximum uh, visual experience out of the twinkly lights because it's dark outside or inside because often these are going to be uh, set up in in some of the buildings at the p a. So the contrast between the darkness and the light, uh, that sounds like a total metaphor, but I don't mean it that way, but that the contrast of that uh, means that I get to to use my small partial and get the most. Uh, um i guess the most experience out of of what my sight uh, allows me to interpret um so that's really one of my favorite things is to check out the lights
0: well and for me too like i i have very poor night vision due to 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 my vision loss but there's just something kind of magical of of seeing the bright lights in a very dark night because it just as you mentioned is just that contrast they pop more they stand uh-huh. out and especially if there's maybe a bit of snow on the ground I know it's probably unlikely over in Vancouver but <laughs> you know you get some snow on the ground it's a bit chilly you feel your mm-hmm. breath in the air it's just going to add to that winter vibe that everyone's searching for and
4: maybe you're
7: walking around with like a, a mold wine or a mm-hmm. hot chocolate or something to enjoy that in fact Alex just in my local area about a block from where I live there's a little place called Edgemont Village and it's little shops and restaurants and whatever. And they decorate the street poles, the, the lamps, the street poles with uh, with lights. So they kind of are, are rounded like candy cane lights. And they're all in that sort of bright, icy LED neutral color. And I want those around all year, like in the trees, on because the, they're so great to navigate at night if you have partial sight. Really like so much easier to, to figure out where you are.
0: See that's the thing it's it's always great and it's very like charming and it, it really sets a mood but it's like yeah can we just have more lights just in and around in daily life I, I people wouldn't say no I don't think
7: I don't think so either
0: Yeah yeah the the one thing is the LED lights the blue ones were always the ones that just threw me off cuz it just it, it struggled with my my eyesight to see them. Now, uh, you had another topic you wanted to talk about as well before I go into a a tangent about uh, uh, blue LED lights, and that is the Neil Squire Working Together program. So what can you tell me about the program?
7: Yeah, uh, Neil Squire is a local organization here in Vancouver and in the surrounding areas of Vancouver that uh, supports a lot of folks with disabilities in various things. So you can apply to them for some technology, uh, for some training of technology. And of course, this is a program around... Um, uh, work and return to work or and or uh, if you want to do some volunteer stuff um, so they'll bring you in they'll do some training with you uh, you'll get paired with a career coach um, and so the idea really is to um, assist folks who have had barriers to employment which I think is, is really lovely to be able to have a resource to do that uh, it's not so easy to find a job these days Um, And I say that lovingly because there are help wanted signs everywhere. But most of those uh, and most of those jobs are probably not accessible for our community members because I'm seeing a lot of them in like the service industry. Right. It was decimated because of covid. And so every restaurant seems to be hiring. But I can't imagine, you know, uh, being blind or partially sighted and and being a server and that being like comfortable or equitable. So uh, it's great to have the Neil Squire Society offering training programs and connections to work.
0: Absolutely. And uh, just to echo what our our host, Dave Brown, always likes to say, meaningful employment. And that's always
7: meaningful employment. It's
0: always something very key. And I I know based on uh, my experience, I've seen some of what the Neil Squire Society has done. And that's what they're they're working towards is such a remarkable organization across this country. So it's, it's great to see that they're doing more programs out in that area uh amy thank you so much for for chatting with me bringing these topics together it's always fun to to catch up with you out in vancouver uh, in vancouver despite i know it's it's an early morning for you but we always appreciate it when you come on our show
7: that's all right by this uh you know i don't know is it three, four, five years that i've been doing this it's uh it's no big deal to get up this early and i enjoy it very much so thanks for sharing space with me alex
0: Amy Amanti is a trooper, and she was joining us from Vancouver, British Columbia. And as I mentioned uh, during the interview, you can be sure to check out more information on all the different activities that Amy was highlighting by going to our blog, ami.ca slash now. Now we head over for a couple of news stories uh, as we continue exploring what's happening around the world. A pair of explosions. I jumped the gun there on the uh, uh, on the news banner. Sorry, Eliza. Uh, a pair of explosions rocked Israel. Charles DeLedesma has the latest.
2: The first explosion occurred near a bus stop on the edge of the city, while the second went off in Ramot, a neighborhood in the city's north. Omar Balev... Israeli Minister of Public Security, says he hopes that we catch the terrorist or the terrorists and root out this organisation, because assuming there's a connection between the events, it's clear it's something more complex. The apparent attacks come as Israeli-Palestinian tensions are high following months of Israeli raids in the occupied West Bank, prompted by a spate of deadly attacks against Israelis that killed 19 people. I'm Charles Tladesma.
0: The CBC reports that the person who was killed in the blast was Canadian. A Walmart in Virginia is the site of the latest mass shooting in the U.S. Jim Ryan has the story.
6: The nation awakes to another mass shooting. Crime scene tape has gone up around a Walmart supercenter in Chesapeake, Virginia.
1: Basically, it's an all-hands-on-deck. We have many of our investigators here, and we just piece by piece.
6: The Chesapeake Police Department's Leo Kaczynski. We
1: believe it's a single shooter, and uh, that single shooter is deceased at
6: this time. It's thought the gunman took his own life, but not before killing six and sending at least four other people to the hospital. A federal law enforcement source tells ABC News that the shooting is being investigated as a potential case of workplace violence carried out by a manager in a store break room. Here's ABC's Andrew Dimbert.
1: Officials saying because the store is so large, many people may have been hiding for several minutes, prompting fear that victims may not have been immediately located. A number of agencies, including the ATF, are now responding. Employees and shoppers in the store are being interviewed, and a family reunification center has now been established.
6: Defined as the wounding or killing of at least four people, this is the seventh mass shooting in the U.S. in the last week. Jim Ryan, ABC News.
0: And finally, a head-on collision has resulted in four deaths north of Toronto. Karen Rebo has this report.
7: Four people were killed and another person was sent to a Toronto area trauma hospital with life-threatening injuries early last evening after a head-on collision involving an SUV and a pickup truck on Highway 7 just east of Peterborough. The highway was closed for several hours as police documented and reconstructed the crash scene near Drummond Line. The highway has since reopened. Police say they are waiting this morning on an update on the person sent to hospital. They haven't released any details about the Victims. Karen Rebo, The Canadian Press.
0: And we want to hear from you back at home. We want you to get involved with with the show. We want you to vote on our polls at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook at Accessible Mink Inc. on Twitter. Let us know. You can also send us an email feedback at ami.ca. Let us know your thoughts. How. Let me know how I'm doing in the host chair, filling in for Dave. I want to I want to hear it as well. I can always try to do as best as I can. But coming up after the break, we check in with Arno Kopacki, who has the latest from the COP27 conference. And I have a chat with Megan Gilmore and Jenny Bovard. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown, coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Alex Smythe, still filling in for Dave Brown. It's Wednesday, November 23rd, 2022. Coming up on the second hour of the show, Arnold Kopecki continues our conversation on COP27, the UN Conference on Climate Change, and Megan Gilmore and Jenny Bovard join me in a roundtable discussion on the pains and pleasures of holiday gift shopping, We're Threading a couple different strains through through the week. We, we were chatting with Shiny earlier about gift shopping. We're going to pick that up in our roundtable. We were talking with Lawrence yesterday about the COP27 conference. We're picking that up with Arno. Let's give you a bit of a, a look behind the curtain here. Uh, but first, we head to... Thank you, Alex.
1: We begin in B.C., Vancouver, a key election promise of Mayor Ken Sim. The decision leaves the door open for the provincial or federal governments to provide some of that money for nurses and police who respond to mental health calls. It comes days after Premier David Eby announced a new public safety plan that includes expanding mental health crisis response teams. Council agreed to ask that Vancouver be part of the provincial plan to create teams of trained peers and mental health professionals to respond to people in distress with or without police. The Canadian Food Inspection Agency says three more commercial poultry farms in the Fraser Valley have tested positive for avian flu. That brings the number of farms infected to 10 in Abbotsford, Chilliwack, and Kent since last Friday. Agriculture Minister Lana Popham says they hope to keep the spread of this uh, highly infectious disease low and hope that it doesn't reach the same heights as it did in 2004 when 17 million birds were culled farms have been quarantined and popham says the inspection agency will make the decision on whether the birds need to be called to the prairies flush with surplus cash premier danielle smith says her government will spend 2.4 billion dollars to help albertans deal with the spike in the cost of living middle to lower income families will get 600 dollars payouts for each child under the age of 18 over six months The same amount will go to seniors and Albertans in programs called Persons with Developmental Disabilities and Assured Income for the Severely Handicapped. The province will continue to give people a break at the gas pumps and uh, will be giving them rebates on electricity bills. Opposition NDP leader Rachel Notley says Premier Daniel Smith and her promises can't be relied on. Notley says the UCP government is trying to fix some of the problems it helped create. Political scientist Dwayne Bratt says Smith was astute to offer aid to the most in need rather than a broad payout. He says her announcement and Notley's response show that the parties are gearing up for a provincial election in May. Recent polls suggest Smith is lagging behind Notley's NDP. In Ontario, the city of Hamilton says sewage has been leaking into the Hamilton Harbour for about 26 years. Officials say the leak was discovered just after 12 p.m. yesterday at the northeast corner of Wentworth Street North and Burlington Street East. The city says the leak has gone undetected since 1996 and is caused by a hole in a combined sewage pipe, meaning 50 or so Hamilton residences have been flushing directly into a sewer leading into the harbour. It's unclear how much sewage has leaked. And in the Atlantic region, three Atlantic provinces will be subject to the federal consumer carbon price next summer. Newfoundland and Labrador, Nova Scotia, and Prince Edward Island had previously pay- paid provincial versions of the carbon price, which exempted home heating oil. The provinces will begin paying the new prices in July and residences and residents will receive quarterly rebate checks meant to offset the added cost. Governments in Newfoundland and Labrador and in Nova Scotia expressed disappointment with the news yesterday, saying Ottawa didn't listen to their pleas to keep home heating oil exempted from the pricing plan. And those are your top regional headlines going coast to coast across the
0: country. Thank you very much, Mike, for that now it is time to bring in Brock Richardson for our sports chat. Hey, Brock, how's it going? Pretty well, pretty well. It's a big
3: day today in Canada.
0: Absolutely. You know, we, we got a lot of uh, uh, coverage we got to pick up on when it comes to to World Cup scores. A lot of games have happened. There's already been a couple of big upsets, including one that just wrapped a few minutes ago. So why don't we we start at the beginning, the first major upset of the tournament, Argentina and Saudi Arabia.
3: Yes, Argentina and Saudi Arabia. Uh, What a game that ended up being. And it was uh, reported on that Argentina had quite a significant um, winning streak going on that they uh no longer have and this goes to show you that anything can happen at the world cup at any point uh argentina had over 60 percent of the possession during that game and uh they ended up uh losing the game where saudi arabia only had two shots on goal and guess where both of those shots ended up in the net so definitely taking advantage of um of of their
0: opportunities absolutely and it was one of those things i remember reading that in a game that lionel messi has scored for argentina i think there's 37 and 0 and he had scored on a penalty kick in this game so this is now 37 and 1 with the loss coming to saudi arabia which then announced after the win that today was actually going to be a national holiday in celebration of their, their big win. So um, there were a couple of nil-nil draws, uh, Denmark and Tunisia, Mexico and Poland. You know, when when it ends in a tie game, both teams are kind of competing, but no one really takes the other hand. Let's, let's jump to France versus Australia, because this is one I, I was watching yesterday, and I was surprised because France was dominating early on, but then all of a sudden on a counterattack, Australia took a one nil lead that didn't last long. Let's, let's touch on this one a bit.
3: Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting because soccer is one of those games where you, when you take advantage of your opportunities that can sort of seal the deal. You see a lot of low scoring games aside from the game, uh, England played a couple of days ago. It was uh four one, I believe, which is a really uh, high scoring game in soccer. But yeah, it's all about taking advantage of your opportunities when they come, and uh, that's what you're seeing.
0: Uh, yeah, and and France, I mean, they're one of the the heavy favorites in this this uh, tournament. They have so much talent, especially up front. And we really did see it. You know, Mbappe just leading the rush, being dangerous any time he has uh, the ball at his feet, and he's he was setting up his his teammates. He he got a goal of his own, and also Olivier Giroud became the oldest player to. To score in in a tournament uh, for for France, which was remarkable. Um, they're they're such an exciting team that any time any matchup they're going to have, you know, they're always going to have that possibility to score from wherever they are. So they're they're going to be much watched TV. Now we also have already had a couple of games this morning as well. So because of the time zone difference, an early morning game between Morocco and Croatia ended. Nil, nil, another one. We've already had three three games this tournament already tied, zero, zero, brock.
3: yes, and and those are uh, two teams that obviously uh, canada is is looking at. And so you can see that both teams are very stingy, not giving up a lot. and uh, again, this is an opportunity that Canada really has to take advantage of their speed in both of those games i was uh, looking it up this morning and and it seems that both teams are uh very defensive and so we'll see uh, what takes place but that's one of the ones um alex where i think canada needs to take advantage of their speed because today the top test is going to be against belgium for canada
0: Ab- absolutely because uh, Croatia and morocco are in the same group as canada and belgium which is the late game today which will be starting at two o'clock eastern And, uh, you know, I'm a bit surprised by the score. I would have figured Croatia would have snuck out a win against Morocco. But as you mentioned, this just goes to show you they're playing very structured in their game. They're very defensive. They're not giving up a lot of opportunities. So, Canada, I mean, you're already behind the eight ball. Croatia and Morocco come away with a point after that draw. You don't really want to lose to to Belgium because then you're at the bottom of the table and you have to work your way up. So here's hoping we'll we'll see what Canada can pull out. It's going to be exciting to, to kind of see what Canada does in its first action against a real test. I know we've seen them play against the U.S. We've seen them play against Mexico, but this is a European powerhouse. This is number two world-ranked Belgium. I... I have a feeling they're going to get a bit blown out in this game. I, I would love to see something otherwise, but to me, Canada relies on having multiple opportunities to get a goal or two they're, They were the most uh, defensively sound when it came to the, um, the uh, CONCACAF uh, qualifiers. They gave up the least amount of goals of, of the, the competition for uh, North America, but This is another beast. This is Belgium we're talking about. It's going to be very interesting. Now, before we move on to our next topic, there was another game that just wrapped up. And this one really breaks my heart because my other team, Germany, they had an unexpected defeat at the hands of Japan, which a lot of people didn't see coming. A lot of people were betting on Germany. But the last few competitions, Brock, Germany has been slipping during this transition to get younger, to get new blood into the program. And losing to Japan in the first game of this tournament is a tough pill to swallow.
3: Yes. And we've seen lately that uh, teams who come off winning a recent uh, World Cup uh, struggle in the following ones after that. And so this is Germany. They, They... hosted a while ago and they won. And I don't think anyone expected them to win. You've kind of seen them falling off the table. France is the most recent one who has uh, hosted. So we'll see what their result will be. Um, But it's interesting because I noticed on social media and TV that there was a lot of stats floating that teams that host um, World Cups struggle coming out. And I think that's what you're seeing in Germany as they go through this transition period. And, again and I feel like I'm repeating myself upsets do happen in yeah. in these tournaments and this is you you can all do this bracket and you can say well, this is who I think it's going to be March Madness is one of the biggest examples of upsets but FIFA is no different with upsets and I think you're going to see it continue to happen as the tournament goes on and you might see some surprises but Germany is sort of a surprise for losing to Japan, to be honest.
0: Absolutely. And just to note, Canada actually beat Japan in their final tune-up game before this competition started just uh, about a week or so ago. So maybe Canada's in better form and and willing to put on a bit more of a, a competitive edge than I'm maybe giving them credit for. But uh, let's move on to our, our our next topic. Still staying within the soccer football world, you wanted to talk about Cristiano Ronaldo, the captain of Portugal, but this has to do with his club team.
3: Yes, he is uh, leaving Manchester United, Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, He would step away immediately under what is using the mutual agreement. When you hear the words mutual agreement, I struggle with the word mutual agreement because I question whether or not this was a mutual agreement or whether it was, you know, uh, more forced and it's saving face uh, for one side or the other or both and saying we mutually agree to do this. I find it interesting that this came out in the middle of the World Cup. Uh, but, you know, it's it's interesting when you hear the words we mutually agree upon something.
0: Well, uh, everyone knew that he was not happy with the, the coach manager who basically had him sitting on the bench and subbing in for games. He he was not a fan of that. He still sees himself as a top world-class player, and he wants to go to a competitive Champions League team and still be a starter at his age. I don't really see that as a possibility for him. You know, with someone at his age, his star power, his name recognition just in the twilight of his career – do we maybe see him make a change over to the MLS? Is there a team that can really draw him in? I don't know. I think he's still going to want to stay in Europe as much as possible, but we've seen this before with other star players, even if they come for a short stint and then go back. Um, Most recently, Zoltan uh, Ibrahimović, he came for about a season and a half into the MLS, then went back over to Europe. I, I could see something similar, just trying to repair his his. Legacy a bit uh, that he can show he can still start he can still be competitive he can still put in the goals that he's known for his entire career but maybe too he has a strong showing at this World Cup with Portugal that some club looks at and say yeah I want to I want to take a chance on him I want him to be a starter on our team
3: and you know you know to your point and this is not meant as a disrespect to major league soccer. To do that, if you had a, a guy of the stature of Cristiano Ronaldo come to the MLS, that would change the landscape on the MLS big time, wherever he would go and, uh, you know, he would change that team, whatever it would be. And so I would welcome it because I would think that that would help uh, Major League Soccer for, for certain. But I can't see him staying there long term. I could see him, as you point out, doing a short stint and then going back, but it would be very interesting to see if he lands in the MLS and maybe one of the Canadian teams might land him, which would be kind of cool.
0: I mean, uh, there would be a lot of number nine jerseys uh, and number seven jerseys being sold. Uh, Brock, we, we're run out of time, so we'll hold off on your third topic today and we'll, we'll chat about it tomorrow. But thank you so much for, for checking, uh, chatting soccer with me. I know it's not always uh, your, your favorite sport, but you've certainly indulged me today.
3: Hey, listen, I'm all on board for
0: the World Cup. Okay, that is Brock Richardson, the host of The Neutra Zone, with our sports chat. Now let's head back to Mike Ross, who has our weather update. It's Alex.
1: It is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We begin in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, and he's going to have periods of snow today, about five to 10 centimeters in total. The high is zero, the wind chill minus nine. In Charlottetown, PEI, it'll be mainly cloudy with a temperature steady near plus one, and the wind chill is minus eight. In St. John, New Brunswick, cloudy skies and a high of plus one, the wind chill minus 10. Quebec City, mainly cloudy with a high of minus one. That wind chill there is going to be minus six this afternoon. In Toronto, mainly sunny and a high of plus seven. Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario is cloudy today with a high of plus five, the wind chill minus seven. Brandon, Manitoba will be mainly sunny with a high of plus three, minus 14 is wind chill as they head out the door today. In Regina, Saskatchewan, increasing cloudiness early this morning and a high of plus three, the, the uh, wind chill there minus seven. In Lethbridge, periods of snow mixed with rain changing to rain late in the morning and then late in the day, clearing sky. So a real mixed bag in Lethbridge today. The high though is plus five red deer has snow ending this morning then clearing skies the high is plus three the wind chill this afternoon will be minus ten to white horse in yukon increasing cloudiness and snow this afternoon the high is zero the wind chill will be near minus nine kelowna bc has a mix of sun and cloud a high of plus two and a wind chill of minus six this morning while in Vancouver, it will be mainly cloudy with a high of 9 degrees. And that is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada.
0: Thank you very much, Mike. Now coming up after the break, Arnold Capecchi continues our conversation on COP27, the UN Conference on Climate Change. That's now with Dave Brown on AMI-TV. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown coming to you live on AMI-tv. I don't say live enough, but we are, in fact, live. Uh, yesterday, we scratched the surface of the COP27 conference with Lawrence Gunther. But today, we're welcoming in journalist Arno Capecchi to really explore some of the issues that came out of the UN Conference for Climate Change. And he joins us from Vancouver. Good morning, Arno. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Good morning, Alex. How are you? I'm doing very well. So, One of the conversations at uh, COP27 was around the commitment to keep warming below 1.5 degrees. How realistic is this as a target for countries to achieve?
8: Yeah, that was a big uh, that was a big theme, especially early on in the discussions. Uh, a lot of people were saying we just got to let go. Others were saying no, we have to hold on. And depending who you ask, you'll get a different answer. Since you're asking me, um, I am of those who feel that it is no longer uh, really realistic to to keep it to 1.5 degrees. We're already at 1.2, and currently burning more fossil fuels and other greenhouse gases than than ever before in human history. Uh, so just the weight of the inertia makes it seem uh, extremely unlikely. You can read The Economist, and there's a lot, there's reams of uh, of high-minded uh, literature supporting w- what I'm just saying, which is not to say that we should give up by any means, uh, but to recognize that that ship has probably sailed and that should add urgency to the cause, because of course, every hundredth of a degree of warming uh, that you can forestall is uh, has massive real-world impact. So, um, not to give up by any means. However, the the UN uh, this COP 27 did agree to to hold to 1.5 degrees as their goal. So officially, that's what we're still going for. Um, but it it is looking even if you know if they do surveys of the of the scientists who are at. Of the climate scientists who contribute to the to the to the uh, the, the IPCC reports, and privately, most of them agree also that 1.5 degrees is increasingly unlikely and, and nearly impossible. It relies on things like carbon capture um, and a lot of, of of still unproven technology, as well as just an insanely fast scale down of fossil fuel infrastructure. So. Uh, I'm I, I'm pretty skeptical that 1.5 is is going to be achieved.
0: Well, yeah, and as as you mentioned, you know, we're already at 1.2, and it it would cause co- it would have to force a massive change in what our current situation, our lifestyle our philosophy on all these topics to be to. Indeed. And I do
8: think that change is coming and it's going to reach a tipping point. It's not going to be incremental the way we've seen it so far. So I'm not uh, one uh, to to just say, oh, we're we're screwed. It's over. Give up at all. Uh, But I do think realism is is healthy as well, because, you know, if we if we sail past 1.5 degrees, uh, we don't want people saying, what, you promised us that we were going to keep this. Oh, I'm giving up. Like, no, no, it's it's going to be all right. Mm -hmm. Um, But. Uh, I, like I said, I think it should just add urgency to to the cause to, to say, look, 1.5 is 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 no longer attainable. So let's 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 batten down the hatches.
0: And another thing that did come out of this conference was the establishment of a loss and damage fund. And yeah. Can you tell me who who this
8: is going to benefit and how significant is this? It seems pretty significant. So uh, I've never been to one of these conferences. Uh, I'm getting too old to go to Burning Man, so I'm hoping that one day I will. Um, but the noise coming out of these, this COP27 from the developing nations uh, who form their own separate bloc, um, uh, they have been celebrating from the rooftops. This is something that developing nations, the poor countries, the low-lying uh, Pacific Island nations like the Marshall Islands, they have been uh hollering for uh, this loss and damage fund for three decades now. Um, And what it is is a fund from paid paid into by wealthy nations like Canada, the U.S., and Europe in particular, that would uh, pay for some of the damages of climate change, uh, which we are starting to see very dramatically ramp up. Uh, Just the summer in Pakistan, a third of Pakistan underwater for, to the tune of $40 billion is the most screaming example. so this fund is something that uh, developing nations have been asking for for a long time. And this year at COP27, uh, over the course of a lot of drama, over the course of the two weeks of the conference, uh, people said, yes, no, this time it's going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's going to... it's oh, And it happened at the very end. They got it. And uh, it happened because the U.S. and the E.U. and Canada all finally uh, flipped our positions and agreed. To do it. Um, So that is the great news. And I think, you know, the people that I follow who uh, are are advocates for climate justice um, are really celebrating this. I think it's the big win. Um, There are still a lot of devils in details. The fund has been established. Uh, right now, it is mostly an empty fund still, um, and the you know the United Nations uh, wealthier countries have a long history of not following through with pledges like this one. But it does seem like the infrastructure and 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 the weight of promises is going to lead to something next year. There, I think over the course of this year now they have to put money into the fund and make that money accessible to countries like Pakistan and you know hundreds of others, literally dozens of others at least, uh, who are going to need some of that money going forward absolutely and as you mentioned it's like
0: these poorer countries they have been experiencing the effects of climate change where you know some of these wealthier more developed nations they've skirted some of the 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 major trends so what about the use of fossil fuels which is where you know these developed nations have really been able to grow and develop and and get to the point where they are now like has there been any conversations any changes in the conversations around the use of fossil fuels
8: yeah, that was probably the the maybe the more disappointing side of of the conference was that people were hoping um, you know, climate activists were hoping that there would be a call to phase down the use of fossil fuels that countries would commit to that. Um, that was rejected. Um, that, you know, so there's an interesting I mean India uh, India was one of the people who called for that actually, which was interesting because a lot of, Uh, fossil fuel proponents, uh, including here in Canada, often like to point to countries like India and say, well, they're not going to get off fossil fuels anytime soon. Therefore, we have a responsibility to keep producing them so that they can develop and have the good life that we have. Uh, But when India itself uh, comes forward and and sort of pretty much dares the United Nations uh, to commit to phasing out of fossil fuels, which would mean helping countries like India develop and deploy renewable energy to uh, develop along the lines that we have, uh, we, we did not take that wager. Um, and Canada is in an interesting position there. You know, Stephen Guilbeault, our finance, our, our environment minister, who was himself a climate activist for many years, most of his life, he was in the position of having to also say, no, we can't commit to phasing down fossil fuel production. Um, But his reason for that is that, you know, I have to come home to Canada and try to implement this. And fossil fuel production is under provincial jurisdiction. The federal government of Canada cannot tell Alberta to scale down fossil fuels. What they can do is tell Alberta that they have to reduce emissions, uh, because emissions are indeed under uh, federal jurisdiction, and Ottawa does have a mandate there that they can follow through. Stephen Gilbo was ve- very clear. He said, you know, every single thing we do on the climate file gets challenged in court. Uh, the carbon tax is the most obvious example. Every province in Canada, almost a minus two or three, including B.C., where I live, uh, challenged this, has challenged the carbon tax in, in the Supreme Court. So Stephen Gilbo says, whatever promises we make, we have to be able to uh, defend them in court, because that is what it's going to come to. And so Canada is focusing on emissions rather than production. And I think that's a similar story for a lot of the big oil producing nations. I mean, some of them don't care. Uh, You know, I think Saudi Arabia is pretty cynical about this. Uh, But I think a lot of other countries are, you know, it's just they, that's sort of the story of these of these climate conferences. Uh, don't expect them to save the world. I I'm a believer that the, these things are are a sign that the world is trying to improve its climate footprint. But at the same time, um, every one of these countries has to go back home and and sell whatever promises they make to the to their own electorate, and that really limits what they can actually do in in concrete terms. Absolutely, and that
0: tied into our our daily poll question today where I was asking people, you know, how do you feel about these international conferences? Do you feel they actually uh, have a positive impact on energy and environmental policies back home? And, you know, I'm on the side, based with, with all the context you're saying, you know, it's like, yeah on a federal level you can you can want, uh try to commit to these things, but as you say it's it 's all regulated provincially you 've got to fight it in court you 've got to be able to uphold these things and enact these these policies, which isn't always easy. Then.
8: Yeah, it's easy to be cynical. I don't know. I, I think sometimes it's as much an indictment of the public, <laughs> of the yeah. of the voting, of the voting groups uh, who, who really make it hard for a politician to do the right thing sometimes, especially in a country like Canada, where we are politically, culturally, economically so tied to fossil fuel production. It is really hard to, to, to turn that momentum around. Uh, so I have a lot of sympathy for for uh, politicians who are trying to, to do the right thing. Uh, but I also, you know, it's easy to be cynical about these, about these UN climate conferences. Um, I, I see the sign that, I see the fact that so many of, you know, pretty much every country in the world sends its leaders, like not just high-level delegates, but, you know, most of our prime ministers and presidents are there um, at some point. I, I see the fact that that happens every year as a sign of genuine political will and effort in this, you know, it's a messy process. I take a lot of hope from the fact that every year we get together and we hash this out and it's usually disappointing, but progress is made. Absolutely.
0: Now, are there other uh, good uh, positive things that have uh, come out of this conference?
8: Well, you have to look pretty hard. I think that loss and damage thing was, was the big one for, for me, uh, you know, we definitely see a lot of gloomy headlines around, you know, we're sailing past all of our, commitments and, and uh, you know, 1.5 degrees is probably lost. Right now, uh, business-as-usual scenarios have humanity on track for something like two and between two to three degrees of warming by the end of the century, which it would be catastrophic. Um, and that's that should frighten us all. Uh, but I, I also point out, um, as others have, that those business-as-usual scenarios used to have us sailing past four or five degrees by the end of the century. And so because of the explosion in renewable technology and the deployment of solar, you know, solar power is now the cleanest form of energy on Earth. It's cheaper than than fossil fuel. Uh, and there are more jobs in renewable sector than there are in fossil fuel. Uh, because of all this stuff, uh, we have cut the the forecast in half of how much warming we're we're headed for. And so that curve is still bending. Every year the curve gets better. Uh racing up against that, of course, is the fact that we are still producing more fossil fuel and burning more fossil fuel than ever. So this race against time is what makes this such a really gripping time to be alive. Uh, And it makes it a great story. Um, uh, Also a
0: harrowing one. Mm -hmm. Uh, Absolutely. And you know this is this is a conversation this is an issue that's not going away it's only becoming more and more pressing as we continue to move forward um I'm I'm sure we're going to be touching on this in the future yeah. Arno uh, quite a number of times but we'll have to leave the conversation there thank you so much for for helping debrief the COP27 conference it, it can always be a lot of information a lot of uh, just detailed stuff, but you did a yeah, great job. Yeah, there's so ready.
8: much, and it's relentless, isn't it? But yep. uh, stay tuned. Like you say, uh, the story is uh, continuing to develop.
0: Thank you so much, Arno. That was a journalist, Arno Kopecki, who is also the author of Environmentalist Dilemma. You can follow him on Twitter at Arno underscore Kopecky. Coming up next, Megan Gilmore and Jenny Bovard join me in a roundtable discussion on the pains and pleasures of holiday shopping. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown. I'm Alex Smythe, filling in for Dave. On Wednesdays, we like to dive a little deeper into topics that really grinds our gears a little bit. Uh, today, the topic is holiday shopping. Let's welcome in Jenny Bovard and Megan Gilmore to discuss more. Hey, Jenny.
9: Hey, good day. And
0: hello, Megan. How are you?
10: I'm Jim. Welcome morning, everybody.
0: So, Jenny, this was your topic, so I'm going to give you first crack at it. Why did you want to talk holiday gift shopping?
9: All selfish reasons. Alex and Megan, I wanted to pick your brains because I am forever hearing people in my life, mainly the the sighted folks, the folks who can see well. um, I hear them saying things like, oh, I was out at the store and I was looking for something completely different and I just I saw this over there on the shelf and I immediately thought of you for the holidays and I just had to get it for you and something clicked in me recently that that gift giving gift shopping experience is something I in enjoy but it's very different for me so I wanted to get your both of your takes
0: yeah Megan I'll let you take uh take the first response with this one
10: Okay, so first, I just need to say for everybody, Jenny, your holiday background with your decorations already up is great and wonderful and all the props for your decorating there. Um, For me, I generally really like gift giving. Like, I like finding the right gift for somebody. I'm an aunt, so I'm in perpetual competition with the other adults in my family to see who gets the best gift for the kids um but i think where i get confused or conflict what complicates it in the experience of buying the gift is just how stores and malls especially are set up and what it's like this time of year because i don't necessarily plan ahead i'm not my mother who i swear starts christmas shopping like in january and has like a stack of things in the house somewhere that you know she just adds to as she finds them
0: well, I will say I was chatting with Shiny Sarah Vanamuthu earlier about mindfulness and and uh, holiday gift shopping, and she did suggest starting early and doing research. So maybe Megan, there is some uh, positives uh, to take away from starting very, very early. At least you get a plan in place, and you can execute it when the when the prices drop. But uh, yeah, I'm for me, it's it's. It, very interesting time, especially once you get into this time where it's the Black Friday sales, then it goes into the holiday sales, and then it goes into uh, the Boxing Day sales, where even when you're going to a a store or a shop that you know well, and you, you're pretty familiar with how the layouts are, as soon as they start moving things around to promote it, it's like, oh, this thing's on sale. It's going to be put in the front, or this is going to be in a bunker over here. That's where it it, it, it loses me because I'll I'll go and I'll, I'll look in the right section and be like, oh the the object should be here, but where is it? There's none here. Oh, they must be sold out or or what have you. It's like, oh no, it's just there's like 50 of them. They're just at the end of the the row. It's just I I don't see it because you know it's not where it normally is. So there is that struggle and and I agree with you too, Jenny. Where it's like, I I'm never the type that can go and peruse a a store just on its own and and then like serendipitously finding like, oh, this is the perfect gift right here. I I typically have to kind of think about it, identify what I'm going to be looking for, what I'm trying to get for someone and then kind of figure out, okay, where in the store is this object going to be? And I'm going to go to that section. And maybe there might be something similar right beside it that I find and I can pick up, but more times than not, that's not really the case. So besides that what are some of the pains and and pleasures that you get from from holiday shopping jenny
9: I love uh, the gift giving right the picking out that special thing that's going to be sentimental or really useful for the individual that I'm looking for but it for me is such an intentional process right i i think i long for that browsing that i just i just don't really know what that's like and And I'm lying a little bit because with online shopping, that has sort of, for me, made this process a little bit more accessible, like a little bit more of a browsing opportunity where I can, but I still have to go in with something in mind, right? So it's so much more intentional. And that might be a good thing, right? That might be a good thing that my gift giving is really, is really intentional. And I'm, I'm not an early starter, that's just not how my mind operates. I work well under pressure, I like to say. That's that's my way of saying I procrastinate, and it tends to work out, usually. Um, but the one thing that I think that I should maybe do that I'm not super comfortable doing because I don't like it when people ask me for a list or a real specific gift idea unless there's something that I like really, really want. Uh, I, I've always wanted a horse. So, you know, I'm just going to put that on my big wish list. But I think maybe that's something that we could, like I could do to make life easier for myself is just suck it up and, and maybe ask for a little bit of a list and, and give in when people ask me for a list because that make, could make things easier. Do you guys do that?
0: List all the time. Uh, that That's the only way that I will... Uh, do shopping now especially with my family like it, it's one of those things that even though we've done a few years of like let's give each other lists I I'm still not getting lists from people anymore it's like oh I, I have nothing on my list that I want That's it's me. like
9: I'm not giving you the list I'm sorry
0: yeah well you no, know I'm what I, the last I
9: minute
0: <laughs> Jenny I, I I know you you want the horse so maybe uh one of those like a, a plushy horse heads on the sticks that you can pretend to ride around with I I, I Ooh, think I'll that that it. would be in my budget I I could certainly do that but <laughs> What, what what about you, Megan?
8: Um,
10: yeah, we don't really do lists as much in our family except for the kids, but then certain ages are more conducive towards lists than others. Um, so that can be difficult if you young members of my family are listening and want something good for Christmas. Um, I am a little picky in terms of I do not like giving people gift cards. Mm-hmm. So when I'm like, hey, what do you want for Christmas? And you say, you know, I just want a gift card. I'm like, really? Like that's like, I'm bored already. Like this is like, <laughs> actually this is making me bored. So Kenya, can you help me out a bit? Um, like Jenny, I also struggle with browsing, except in bookstores that mm. are well lit because there's an elf. Al- because things are organized alphabetically by last name and by like genre and I'm like, okay, there's a method here, there's a system, I can orientate myself to these objects. Um, Whereas if there's a store which kind of has a bit of everything, it can be more difficult to know where you are and just where you fit into the grand scheme of the store. I also, um, I don't necessarily like shopping with other people because I find it really stressful. It could be a a slower shopper, So, if I hear, if it's people I'm not used to going shopping with, and they keep saying, Look over there, or did you see that thing? No, I did Mm -hmm. see it. Just stop asking. (laughs) No, did
0: I? You have a process. You want to stick to your process. You want to take your time. Stop rushing me.
10: Right. And I'm just like, How is it that, like, so you think that we walked into this super crowded store with a bunch of people, everything is moved around because it's the holidays, and you think, that now I magically, from 2020 vision, and even though I'm terrible at directions anyways, on the best of times, I suddenly am good at it. Like, no, that didn't happen. Yeah, so you, I am very picky about who I go shopping with.
0: You, you, you got into the holiday spirit. It was just a match. It washed <laughs> over you. Um, so, Jenny, what you, you mentioned you, you really prefer doing things online. What does it take to get you to go to a store?
9: Well, I love. I'm so glad that Megan that you mentioned the the bookstore idea because that's sort of one of my go tos. And newsflash for any of my friends or family listening, that was actually my plan this year. So I think you're kind of in my brain. Um, and and that's something that you know encourages literacy, and you can you can find something by genre. So I love that. Something else that I do, and 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 I do this often is like I'll pick a theme just to sort of make things easier for myself, but I'll personalize each gift. So like one year I made, I made these like home decor signs and really basic sort of craft and I just sort of tailored it to each person and and they loved it. So um, getting me into a store shopping is I have to go in with a plan, with a list, with a plan in mind the 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 people, the sounds, the overwhelming environment that is the holiday shopping season. I don't do Black Friday. I don't even do Black Friday online. Even that stresses me out. So I, I and I don't like shopping with other people either because that they tend to like to browse. So if you're okay with with like a plan and let's get in and do what we need to do and you're gonna help me find what I need to find, then then I'm game to go shopping with you.
0: Yeah, I I think I'm I'm certainly one that I'm I'm okay to go browse. I will go to stores if, if I need to, but I I find I'm not going to go like just for the sake of going and looking at a store unless I know there's going to be something there. It's like, "Oh, I'll I know I'm going to find something here like it's a toy store. I got to get something for for my my goddaughter or or for my nephew. It's like, I I know I'm going to find a a a young toy. Uh I I will do that, but I'm not just going to go for The sake of browsing scene let's see what strikes inspiration Uh, now in terms of you know this is always the crazy time of year it's always crowded it's always busy everything's moved around do either of you have any horror stories from doing gift shopping Um, Megan I'll start with you
10: oh I don't think I have horror stories from gift shopping but my biggest shopping horror story did not actually happen while I was in the store. It happened while I was walking to the store. So um, I was in the mall in my hometown um, with my mother, who is actually one of the only people that I will go shopping with <laughs> as of an that? I'm just gonna be honest. And she's gonna be now mad that I mentioned this on air, but it's true. Um, and anyways, so we were walking and I saw a mannequin in another store with clothes on that I thought looked nice and I wanted to go and see them. And I got really excited and I'm not from like the biggest city. So it wasn't like there was a lot of people that I had to walk through. So I just took off at like this high energy speed towards the mannequin, was so excited to see the clothes up like up close and personal and just as i got there my whole body went against the plexiglass and i bounced back like all of me all of me was there um so i was a little dazed i don't know if i actually ended up in the store looking at the mannequin and the best part of the story is the next day my mom had to go back to the mall and she walked past the store that this had happened at and noticed a um a cust- custodial staff with a squeegee, squeegeeing off, like, a whole body mark that had been left on the plexiglass. So,
0: it was like the crime funny. scene outline of, of Megan Gilmore. A me. yeah.
10: yeah, yeah. So all this to say, please put, like, something on your plexiglass. It's not just birds that mm. bang into things. It's also people.
0: Yes, exactly. Well, and, and I, I will say mannequins have popped up in some of my horror stories. Like, oftentimes when... You're perusing, the, especially a clothing store or whatnot, and you're going through and it's all the, like, clothes area. They're all tight. I can't tell you the number of times where I, I bumped into a mannequin just without looking, apologize, and then look around. There's just <laughs> people looking at me as I'm talking to a mannequin. So I, 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 get the, I get the sentiment. I understand it. I've been in a similar situation. Uh, Jenny, what about you? Any horror stories gift shopping?
9: I think my worst thing was I was putting together like a care package for a family member for, for, okay. It was my mother-in-law. I'll be specific because that makes it that much worse. So I put together a care package and I, I bought what I thought was this nice, like fuzzy blanket to keep them warm. And I shipped it off all proud and happy that I was able to put this lovely care package together. I put some nice hand cream and um, some other things to keep her occupied while she got well. And come to find out the blanket that I purchased, I, I should have had a second pair of eyes check things out before I, I shipped everything off because it turned out to be like a baby blanket. um, And and there's no bun in any ovens. It was very, conf- I, I would imagine it was very confusing and I was so embarrassed. But now I'm here to tell you this story. It's okay to laugh because I laughed at you, Megan. um, uh, Walking (laughs) into the plexiglass, and I apologize. But okay, it's funny. (laughs) There are no buns in any ovens, um, and she couldn't even use it. It was a baby blanket. (laughs)
0: But at least there's some, <laughs> some lotion and other things she yeah. could use. She couldn't use the blanket, sure. but she could use the other things. And who knows? Maybe you you could just throw the baby blanket over the toes, keep them warm. See, there's right. there's workarounds maybe, here. I don't know. I don't or know maybe what she, she did But maybe she had to go to a baby
10: shower and yeah. was like, well, I'll just yes. give her a blanket. That's already here.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, I hope so. Well, we have to uh, end the conversation there. Jenny, Megan, thank you both so much for for coming chatting about the gift-giving season. It was great. We shared a few laughs, a few insights. Uh, I, I really appreciated it.
9: Alex, I'll get you my address for that fun horse, okay?
0: Okay, sounds good. And
9: you send you two send me your list, okay? <laughs> okay, I'll do my
10: best. A good luck out there shopping, everyone.
0: Yep, take care. That was Jenny Bovard and Megan Gilmore. Coming up after the break, we have a bit of a quick roundtable with Mike and Nisreen. And we'll find out what's coming up on Kelly & Co. You're watching Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. <music> Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown, coming to you live on AMI-tv. There is no Ramya in today, so... We'll find out. I will let you know what's coming up on this episode of Kelly and Company. Margaret Weldon tells you about the programs and services offered by the youth organization, The Sky is the Limit. Jim Crisco fills you in on the Canadian Blind Hockey's Western Regional Tournament that took place in Calgary last weekend. And AMI's Alicia Yardley explains the importance of employee engagement in career development. Catch Kelly and Company 2 p.m. Eastern on AMI-audio. Now I'll bring in Mike Ross, who wanted to have a bit of a chat before we end the show about Canada's upcoming game today. Mike, how's it going? Are you excited? I'm I'm really pumped. I can't
1: wait to get this going. The only downside is I have a couple of medical appointments today, so it's not like I'm going to get to go out to a, a, a bar or a, a viewing party anywhere. But I'm just curious as to, you know what you're doing and are you the type of person who likes to
0: get out and, and be with other people watching these types of events? You know, I used to be, I used to be very big on getting a big crowd, going to a busy restaurant or bar to see like these types of sporting events. But as I've gotten older, as you know, the home setup has gotten better, I'm much more of the mind that I want to sit at home. I want to relax, be comfortable, have to pay 20 bucks for for a drink or or uh you know uh, 30 bucks if you add a meal into it and the other issue i find is when you're at like a bar or something like that it's so hard to actually hear the game even even when they're Mm. playing it loud there's so many people so many uh uh like noises distractions and, and the tvs can be pretty far away so i like watching it quietly on the big screen i like hearing all the the noise and sounds of the game and not so much the commentary of the people next to me what about you though mike i
1: enjoy being out at a, a bar a sports bar or like a viewing party with a bunch of people for big events like mm-hmm. today would be one of those yeah something like the super bowl a great cup party i really enjoy that now if it's just a ball game or a hockey game that i want to watch my regular sunday football watching mm-hmm. i like to do that at home because i'm like you I like to have the big screen going. I like to have access to the cheap refreshments and snacks and no lines in the bathroom and things like that. But when it comes to the events that are annual or in the case of the World Cup every four years, I definitely enjoy getting out there and being part of a bigger group because I just find that the atmosphere is awesome. And I like to sort of feed off that energy with other people, but not for a weekly type thing like an NFL football season.
0: Absolutely. So Mike, I'm going to put you towards the test now before we let you go. Give us your prediction today. Canada versus Belgium. What's the score?
1: As much as I want Canada to win and an upset would be phenomenal, I see it being probably a 3-1 or a 3-0 game for Belgium. I just think they're they're so strong, they're so organized and Canada I think might get a little bit shaken a little bit on that world stage for their first game. So I'm hoping for good things, but my my heart says yes, my brain says no.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be close to 4-1 like uh, France yesterday, but time will tell. Mike, thank you so much. Coming up on Thursday's show on Now with Dave Brown, we hear from Ryan Huey from the Accessible Insulin Pump Task Force. That's Now with Dave Brown, 9 a.m. Eastern on AMI-tv. Thanks for watching.